Well, again, good morning and, and welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here at the Olathe campus. It's good to be together. Uh, I, love, I love the fall. I mean, pumpkin donut holes out there. Uh, up two games. It doesn't, it doesn't get much better than this. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for being at church uh, this morning. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, as we continue this uh, pretty complex uh, series, trying to explore what does it mean to really love our neighbors in ways that are, that are bigger uh, than where we often, often tend to focus, that affect all of us in, in everything that we do. Uh, it's challenging terrain, um, so let's, let's ask God to, to help us uh, in that this morning. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you have created us uh, and that you draw us to yourself through your son, Jesus. Um, and you draw us together as your people. And you have created us and redeemed us to be about your work of fruitfulness in our world. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Give us a vision for what that is and help us to be responsive to your word. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and may your spirit be at work already within us, changing us, molding us uh, to be the people that you long for us to be. Uh, for the sake of, of your glory, and for the good of our world. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I wasted eight years of my life as a bank teller. Um, eight, eight years that I... I I'll, just, I'll never get those years back, honest. Uh, senior year of high school, uh, four years of college, three years in seminary. Uh, first service, I actually held up too many fingers, which shows the kind of bank teller I was, right? I can't even, uh, can't even count. But uh, eight years all, all together. Um, and I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to, to bank tellers out there. Um, but it's kind of a job you master in about a week. So I had like another 400 weeks of super exciting work to do. I mean, there's a reason why it's essentially been replaced by machines, right? Um, and I, I was so ready to be, to be done with this job that I remember my very first year on staff at Christ Community, um, I had a nightmare in which one of our pastors said that instead of starting the Olathe campus, we were actually going to open up a credit union as a church. Uh, and they wanted me to run it. And it was like, it was, you know, one of those like cold sweat up, you know, ah, kind of moments, this, this terrible, terrible dream. And, and in those eight years, I saw, I saw a little bit of everything. I, I worked at a bank in a very low income area of, of Kansas City, uh, as well as in one of the wealthiest communities in all of Chicago. Uh, I also worked at a bank in downtown Chicago, surrounded by both. And learned something very important, right? That it doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor, uh, people are kind of terrible sometimes, um, especially when it comes to their money, right? We get really uptight, sensitive, very, very prickly uh, when we start thinking about one another's incomes and, and the way that we use the resources that God has, has given us. So eight years, eight years wasted, but let me, let me clarify this statement. I don't consider those years wasted because that job was somehow beneath me, right, or unhelpful, that I was, I was just a bank teller. I consider them wasted because I wasted them. And no, I didn't, I didn't steal from the bank, um, although I did have lots of intricate fantasies about how I would, right? You spend enough time there and you begin to see little, little spots. I didn't, as far as anybody knows, uh, steal. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, I didn't. Um, and, I, you know, I made friends with my coworkers and was able to even share my faith with, with some of them. And, and I was a decent enough employee, but the reality is for me, it was only a paycheck and nothing more. It, it was only something to be endured, uh, to get through to the next stage of my life, right? The, of being able to do the really important work that, that God had, had called me to. Or, or, or just trying to, you know, get, get through until the weekend, if I only knew then what I know now. 
that every moment is an opportunity. Every vocation, big and small, whether you get paid for it or not, every moment is an opportunity to serve Christ and to love your neighbor, to create and contribute in the world in which God has created and spoken. But I, I missed out on a lot of it. I mean, is it a wonder, right? You approach work with the ideal of accomplishing the minimum. Is it any wonder that I hated it? I mean, Viktor Frankl, uh, the psychiatrist, the Holocaust survivor, he wrote the, the brilliant work, Man's Search for Meeting. And, and basically, he, he comes to the conclusion that, that two things have to be true for us as, as individuals, as humans, to have significance or purpose in our lives. One is we've got to be connected with others, right? There's got to be a relational component in our life for our lives to feel like they've counted. And the second is we have to feel like what we do matters, that we're contributing somewhere in the world, a, a sense of, of accomplishment, and the funny thing is, to me, funny, sad, uh, is that during those years in seminary, I genuinely wanted to be faithful to God with my time. I just was missing out on a really important truth, that if you want to be faithful, you have to be fruitful. If you want to be faithful, you, you have to be fruitful, to creative, productive, redemptive in, in everything that we do. You see, Jesus talks a lot about fruitfulness. And for us as Christians, we, we, we want to be fruitful in, in our lives. And when we hear fruitfulness, we think good works, right? Caring for the poor and, and, and you know, feeding the, the needy and loving one another, serving each other, forgiveness, patience, all those things. And those, those are important, but we, we jump there and think, well, it's good works. But the reality is if we understand the whole of Scripture, that when Jesus calls us to be fruitful, it's not just good works, it's also good work meaningful contribution to the world in which, in which he made. And so last week we began this new series on neighborly love. And it's complex as we think about work and economics and faith and, and how our lives are so deeply interconnected with one another. Uh, but we believe that, that God changes, Jesus changes everything, and so we want to be able to, to speak into this. And we're wrestling with, with how our love ought to be the fuel behind everything we do, including our work, and how it ought to be the fuel behind our, our understanding of a global economy uh, and, and the, the, the desire for, for human flourishing for all people. That neighborly love is a call to action. Compassion requires capacity. We saw that in the story of the Good Samaritan last week. And we also saw that as we looked quickly at, at Paul's words to the Ephesians, right? That important verse where he sets up very, very clearly that instead of stealing, right, which is economic injustice, we should do good, honest work, making a profit for our labors, which is economic fruitfulness, so that we can share with those who are in need, which is economic generosity. That essentially work in itself is a good thing, whether you get paid or not, whether you even like your job or not, whether your primary calling right now is to be at home with kids or, or, or you're retired or to spend time in an office or, or a classroom, kids, wherever you are. And so last Sunday was sort of meant to, to lay the groundwork as we continue to try to connect Sunday faith with Monday rest of life, Right? And so this morning, we're going to try to dig deeper into the specifics here. Uh, and we want to begin where the Bible begins. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. 
This is the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, right? Right out of the gate, early on in the pages. And when we look at these words, we see the job description of humanity, of part of the very purpose for, for which we were made. And, and you see, you and I, we were designed for fruitfulness. And as we, as we look at this text, we're going to see three things. We were created to be creative, created to be productive, and created to be redemptive. Which means if you want to be faithful, you have got to be fruitful. So let's, let's look at these. Let's look at this place here. First of all, created to be creative. Now, Genesis 1 is a beautiful poem, right? Celebrating the creation of the world and God's creative uh, nature and, and doing this, this great thing on behalf of, of his glory and, and, and for, the good of, for, for the good of people. And there's, there's several ways that, that thoughtful, Bible-believing Christians have interpreted these words, uh, this, this poem of creation. But the big idea here is that God made everything, and God made everything really, really good. But there's, there's intention in mind that, that God planned it, that, that he saw everything before him, and it was, it was beautiful and worthwhile. And on the sixth day, those are the words we read just a moment ago, as the climax of God's creative power and beauty, he makes us. Out of the dust, he creates humans. And as we, as we look back to the garden, prior to the fall, right, prior to sin coming in and marring everything, we get a glimpse of what ought to be of God's original intention for us as humans and for his world before it was all marred by sin. And so let me read verse 26 again. And as I do, listen to our identity as humans, part of the core of of who we are. It says there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a lot there, isn't there? Created by God, male and female, in his image. I mean, three times there in those few verses, it says that we've been given God's image. We've been created in, in him, to be, to be like him. And, and, I mean, theologians and philosophers have, have written volumes on what it means to be created in God's image. But at the very least, the very least, it means that we, we can connect with God and we can reflect God. We can both connect with him and, and reflect him back. And those things are meant to go hand in hand. Now, uh, because of our rebellion, right, our sin, con- connection with God has been diminished, Right? It's, been, it's been shattered. It's not what it ought to be or, or what it once was. And, and with it, our ability to reflect him isn't what it once was or, or, or what it ought to be. And this, this people, this is our greatest poverty above anything else. Right? That this, this relationship, this, this, this ability to reflect this God who made us, it's, it's just not what, it, it's not what it once was. Now, there's still glimmers of it there. We're still made in, in his image. We still possess inherent dignity and worth. And because of Jesus, all of this is being restored. But, but think about this, okay? God, God is our creator. And as image bearers, as reflectors of him, we are designed to be co-creators in God's good world. 
That, that, that's part of what it means to be made in his image. We see God on display as creator, and we, created to reflect him, are also co-creators along, along with him. Now, as adults, I think many of us probably lose sight of this, right? Uh, but how many of you, when you look at the kids in your life, I mean, you see the creativity just jumping off the pages, don't you? I mean, I would have enough artwork to cover my entire office, right? The refrigerator and probably every part of my house by this point. They're constantly creating, aren't they? Uh, or, I mean, think of, think of the stories that they tell of uh, the imaginary friends or their, their ability to get lost in a story, the forts they make and the struggle. I mean, all of this, right? Nobody, nobody has to teach a child to create, right? Of course not. It's just there and it comes out. Now, as, as adults, right, it doesn't quite come out as much um, as it once did. Uh, it certainly, certainly doesn't come out quite in, this, in the same ways. But creativity, which, which is both the creation of stuff and ideas, that's just part of our DNA. We can't help but create. And, and think for a moment about the economics of this. So everybody's not a Steve Jobs, right, or a, or a Yo-Yo Ma, right? Um, but this is what work ought to be, isn't it? I mean, I mean it's, at its very core, work ought to be creating goods or services that make life better, right? That, that creates something of, of value for, 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 someone, for someone else. And for some of you, right, in your vocations, that's, that's solving problems, right, or, or managing a team, and you, you do that well, and you make life better as a result. For others of you, maybe it's, you know, it's making cupcakes or, or building houses or raising your kids. While others of us create new jobs or start new ventures, all of these are ways to love your neighbor because you're creating something of value for them and a way to reflect our God. Because when we create, we reflect who he is. We reflect, reflect who, he's, who he's made us to be. And so if you're, uh, if you're looking for application here, I mean, do I have to spell it out, right? Create. Make stuff, right? Uh, don't, don't inhibit your own creativity, right? And, and bring out the creativity of others. It's part of how you were made. It is in your, it's in your DNA. It's part of the very structure of, of humanity to, to make stuff. Be creative, and it's not wasted. It's love. It's godlike. And when you create something of value, you're actually joining God in His work. I mean, even just think about that for a moment. Like, let, let that sit down, sit, sit in that we get to join the Creator of the universe in His creative work in this world. Uh, cultural theorist uh, Andy Crouch. I love how he puts this. Some of you probably heard me say this before. Um, when I first heard him say this, it like blew circuits in my mind and brought tears to my eyes all the same. Because if you think about that, right? Think about the world that God has made and the creative power and beauty of God. I mean, if you saw the sunrise this morning or you think about the leaves changing or you think of the complexity of, of everything, right? That God has made, that he actually invites us as his creatures into his creative process to take his raw, raw materials and actually make something better. And so Andy Crouch, he, he often says it sort of, sort of like this. He says, God made, God made wheat, right? Good for God. He made wheat. We made bread, like hot toasted bread with butter melting into it, right? 
I mean, wheat is good, but bread is very good. And, and God made grapes. I couldn't make a grape to save my life, right? But we humans, we made, we made wine, and, and God made trees. I love trees, but we made houses and hospitals and schools and churches. And, and God made sand. We invented the computer chip. God made apples. We make apple pie, right? I mean, think about this for a moment, that the God of the universe, actually, he stopped creation when he did and said, now you, you go and make something even better than I've made to cultivate and keep the good world that he, that he made. That's what he, the language that God uses for it in Genesis chapter 2, that we're invited into this. And so, I mean, yes, we've, we've made bad things, all right? We'll get there in a second because we're broken, and, and certainly our creativity is not always great, right? We're broken people, but so many of the things we make are very, very, very good. And kids, it's sort of like God gave us this big pile of Legos. I like, like thinking of that. I mean, I love that picture. I kind of want to just like Scrooge McDuck right into the pile, right, and swim around in it. I mean, I just, I love that stuff. And it's sort of like that's what God has given us, right? And, and we couldn't make the, the raw materials. We couldn't create the pieces out of nothing. And yet now the, the the possibilities for beauty and complexity and joy, I mean, literally endless, that we get to make even better things. And when we do, and when we do it well, you know, ethically, morally, when we do it out of, out of faith to this God that we serve, the goodness can far surpass the raw materials. And we reflect our God and we love our neighbor. I mean, I can remember a conversation I had uh, several years ago. It was one of the first times I was teaching on, on some of this, and um, I, I could see the, 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 the woman's eyes sort of light up as I was, as I was talking about this, and she, she grabbed me afterwards, and uh, fighting back tears, right? Uh, she just said to me, she, she works in the creative, creative arts. That's, that's her profession. She said, you know, Nathan, this is the first time anyone has ever said, particularly a pastor, that the work I do actually matters that it counts for something, that it's, it's okay that God made me like this. Friends, it's not just okay. It's part of the fabric of who we are. Bring it out. Allow creativity to, to shine forth. It's part of what it means to be fruitful and faithful to this God who created first. So create. Second, and these are definitely intertwined. You can't, you can't really pull them apart but we're also created to be productive, to do stuff, to get things done, to contribute to the world God made. Verse, verse 28, as, as this job description continues for us as humans, says in verse 28, and God blessed them, right, Adam and Eve, and, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Theologians often refer to this, this verse as the cultural mandate. It's the first command in the human job description. And really, there are five imperatives here, right? All kind of crunched up together. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill up planet Earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Five, five quick commands. Are there are tons of ways that we've distorted these commands because we're, we're broken, sinful people now as a result of what happened in Genesis 3. Um, I mean, for example, we've, we've taken the, these commands of, of, of subdue and, and dominion, right? Um, 
We've used them as license for destruction, forgetting that just the next chapter, God defines those as cultivating and keeping. That there's something, something valuable to be, yes, cultivated out of the earth, but also kept safe and, and pure and whole, right? That there's, there's a part of that, that, that we're to, to do that and not, not just use this as, a, as an excuse to ravage and pollute and destroy, right? That creation care matters, and it matters a lot. It matters to God. But that's not the only thing we've, we've distorted here. I think we've also distorted this, uh, this be fruitful and multiply bit, haven't we? Because certainly it's about making babies, yes, okay? But it's not just about making babies. I mean, that's typically what we think of, don't we? And, and by the way, if you think about like all the commands God has given us, this is the one that we can actually kind of do this, right? Uh, look at the world, right? There's, we're, we're everywhere. I mean, it's the one command we humans have actually, have actually been decent at obeying. Um, but this isn't just about making babies, as, as, important as, that, as important as that is. You see, the Hebrew, Hebrew word for fruitful there, be fruitful and multiply, it's uh, the word parah, uh, which includes with it both the idea of procreativity, so procreation, as well as productivity. Because in the Old Testament mind, fruitfulness, those things went hand in hand. They weren't like separate things, like you had babies and you did work, right? Uh, you know, think about it for them in an agrarian world, your productivity was tied to your ability to be procreative, right? Uh, to be able to have offspring and children, to be able to work in whatever the family business was and the farm and all of those things. And so they're often tied together. In fact, throughout all of scripture, God, is, God tells us people be fruitful both with children and with the work that you do because they're they're not meant to be seen necessarily as separate things, but as, as together. Even in Genesis 3, right, when the curse happens, right, in the fall, it's, it's on our ability to be fruitful as humans, both pain and childbearing, but also thorns in the ground. That fruitfulness now hurts. It doesn't come like it should. It's, it's hard. But both are about fruitfulness. And while having babies is certainly important, I never want to minimize that. We in our culture, we've very easily made it an idol, haven't we? We've made it as like the, the, the chief goal of, of everything. And, and I, I realize that pastors and churches, often we contribute to this because we so easily marginalize those who are single um, or, or those who are unable to have children. And I know, folks, that as your pastor, I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of that. And if, if that describes you, I am sorry. We, we don't want to, mar- we sh- you shouldn't be marginalized. And, and frankly, there's, there's good news here in this command. I mean, even think about that Jesus, right? The only person who has ever lived the perfect human life, he never had physical children of his own. And your, your command, right, to be fruitful, the cultural mandate, you can obey that. Maybe not in the same ways, but we, can, we, we can't all be procreative. But every one of us can be productive, Every one of us can fulfill part of this, this initial creation design for us. So, produce. Do stuff, right? Be productive. And again, whether you get paid for your work or not, whether you're a student, you're retired, uh, you, maybe you're at home with the kids and, and you, know, you don't make a, a paycheck here, right? This is why it's so important that we define work not in terms of compensation, which is what we typically do, but in, in terms of contribution, there's, there's a big difference there. It's not just about the money that we get. It's about the contribu- contribution that we provide. That you can contribute. That you can cultivate blessing for yourself and others out of the created order. 
adding value, and building capacity to love your neighbor. I mean, there's a definition of work for you, right? Work is cultivating blessing out of the created order for yourself and for others. That we get to cultivate blessings for people and the things that we do. I love the picture that we get of this in, in Proverbs 31. Uh, Proverbs 31 is a poem about this virtuous woman, right? The ideal uh, woman. And she's praised throughout this poem for both her work in the home as well as in the marketplace for her fruitfulness in, in both spots. And in verse 31, it concludes with this. It says, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And not just, not just good works, but good work. Friends, if you want to be faithful, you've got to be fruitful. And while fruitfulness is certainly more than creativity and productivity, it is never less. For in it, we reflect our God and we love our neighbors. And if you do that, if you're creative and productive, there's a good chance you're going to make money doing so which is where it gets a little bit weird for us to start talking about it in church, right? That's, that's okay. In fact, going back to what Paul said, that's, that's a good thing. It's actually a command that we do so. And, and according to the book Common Sense Economics, if you're looking for kind of a primer on the subject, this would be a good one. Uh, but I love, I love what the authors say there. That there is a moral here. If you want to earn a high income, you had better figure out how to help others a great deal. To put that another way, if you are unable or unwilling to help others, your income will be low. And now, listen, there's, there's abuses, right? Um, there, there are exceptions, and of course, profit isn't the only bottom line when it comes to thinking through our work. But did you hear one of the most basic principles of economics? The best way to make money is to figure out how to help people and how to help them a lot. And there's a good chance if you do that, you'll make a profit in the process. But if you want to make money, be a good neighbor. Love the people in your life and love them a lot. And find out creative ways and productive ways to, to love them and help them even more. Which means here, we, we've got to quickly move to the next point. Because um, I know, all right, anytime we start talking about making money as a good thing in church, we just kind of get a little bit weirded out, right? It just feels, I don't know, feels taboo or, or, or something. Because uh, we know the abuses, right? We live in a, in a fallen world. A lot happened between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, and the po- potential for corruption is, is truly endless. And we've seen it, and we've done it, right? We all have. That's why it's so important that we also remember we were created to be redemptive. Every job is broken, uh, and every system of economics is broken. But there's always hope, isn't there? You see, what what theologians call fruitfulness, economists call wealth. Uh, Which, again, feels a little bit weird, right, to to say that. Um, Because oftentimes, for for us sitting in this room, there's probably two extremes at work for many of us, right? Either wealth is everything, it's the chief end of man, and you'll give everything and do anything to achieve it, right? You You just want more of it, right? And then life will be fine and happy, and you'll live happily ever after, right? Or... Or we go to the other extreme and think, well, wealth is inherently evil and corrupting, and, and so we, we don't want to go in, in that direction. And so either we make wealth everything, or we make it the worst thing. And the reality is the, that's not what the Bible teaches, and certainly it's not a redemptive attitude for us to have. Rather, what the, the Bible teaches is that wealth is a gift to be steward, stewarded. 
used responsibly in a variety of ways for the good of others, which means making money is good. Managing and creating wealth is good. Creating new jobs is good. Adding value to the good world that God made is a good thing. Not just good, it's a, it's a command. It's what we do with all that money that matters so deeply. Another, another basic principle of economics, it's also a biblical principle, um, is sort of this idea of value creation. Um, Often we think of wealth or stuff as like a, a zero-sum game, right? If I have, that means you can't, right? Uh, my riches necessitates your poverty. Do you understand that? Like, like, I mean, imagine it as like a pie, right? And wealth is a pie, and um, we all want a piece of the pie. Uh, and so what we have to do, because there's, there's poverty in our world, is we have to cut the pie smaller, right? Each piece a little bit smaller so everybody gets some. And there's some good there because we should absolutely be deeply concerned for those who are impoverished in our country and in our world, right? We should, we should absolutely reach out to care and to push back uh, the dangerous tides of poverty in any opportunity we can. But that's, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal would be to make more pies, right? And, and to help others learn how to make more pies. I mean, don't forget the picture that we have in the garden of, of flourishing is, is one of abundance, right? Of plenty, And economists of every political, sociological, and theological stripe agree, and we we see it in Genesis, that this idea of wealth creation, it's it's an exponential dynamic, not a a finite number that we have to sort of achieve and then then split up. Um, Probably lost a few of you. I've lost myself, so this is, this is new terrain for me. Uh, it, it's okay. But, but basically, the idea here with this idea of, of wealth creation being exponential is that our, our creative and productive wealth work, when it's done well, continues to multiply what wasn't there before. That, that's what we see in, garden, in the garden. That's what we see over the last however many years of human history, that value isn't just distributed and often distributed unfairly, but that it's actually created constantly by more and more good work well done. Let me, let me try to illustrate this a little bit because I know this is, this is heavy stuff for, well, I'm lost. So let me, let me try here. Uh, this is the population clock. This is a fascinating thing to me. Uh, you can go to this website and it's, it's, always, it's always running. So you can see uh, like it's another baby, another baby, another baby, another baby, another baby. And that's, that's the world right now. Uh, it's going at that rate. America's a little bit slower. So you can see kind of the U.S. population and how, how it's, it's growing. It's all broken down. You can play with it. It's pretty, pretty fascinating statistics if you're, in, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, but just think about this for a second, okay? Uh, that we, as the human race, we've gone from two people, Adam and Eve, to 7.3 billion. And maybe we don't know exactly how long it's taken us to get there, but think about it this way. In the last 100 years, so since 1915 to 2015, we've gone from 1.8 billion to 7.3. That's a, that's a few, right? Um, and uh, some of the best research out of the 60s, book, a book called The Population Bomb in, in the 19, 1968. It's a bestseller. Uh, it came out of some, some researchers from Stanford University. I mean, some serious guys, not, not like conspiracy theorists. Uh, they were convinced, according to the best research of the day, that by the 1980s, there was going to be a huge, huge starvation problem, a huge food shortage, and that millions and millions, if not billions of people were going to die as a result, as a, as a result of overpopulation, just too many people for the planet. And what's so amazing about this, this idea of value creation that we get to contribute and build and take God's raw materials and make more of it is that that 
That didn't happen. And not only did that not happen, in the last decade, more than a billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty. In 10 years, more than a billion image bearers are not in the poverty they once were. Now, yes, there's still a lot of work to do. And certainly, we humans have made a few mistakes along the way. No, no doubt about it. We, we certainly have. And yet, I mean, a billion image bearers no longer in extreme poverty. How, how, is, how is that possible in, with scarcity of resources? But you see, what we, what we learn is in Genesis, every image bearer, right, who comes into existence brings with it creativity and productivity. Bearing the image of God. Right, that there's something of inherent value there that pushes us to, to work and to create and to produce and to innovate and to think of, think of new ways to solve big problems. And in a free market economy, which, by the way, is the best bad system we have, I think. Um, so if you take up all the really bad systems, I think this would probably be the best one. But in that setting, jobs create more jobs. Ingenuity creates more ingenuity. Creativity begets creativity and productivity, and more people are able to flourish and be fruitful as God originally intended. So friends, redemption is possible, even for broken people in broken systems. So redeem. Make stuff better. Make something beautiful out of the mess around us. And now there's, there's certainly some tensions here, aren't there? Now, a big tension for me is between laziness and workaholism. I mean, you can see, if this is true, right, if this is our first command, right, our, our human job description, you see why laziness is such a big deal in Scripture, why, why it's talked about as a sin. It's, it's the refusal to be human. It's a refusal to accept the very first command God gives us. And frankly, it's a refusal to love our neighbor, right, because they, like Martin Luther said, we said last week, right, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do, right? They need our good work in their lives, and so it's a refusal to love. And yes, sometimes, sometimes work just stinks. Even the best jobs have thorns. And if you're a bank teller, you know, I sympathize, okay? But every job is an opportunity. Every job is an opportunity to be fruitful and to be faithful to the God who made us. But listen on the other side, and this is probably where I would guess more of us live is kind of in that area of workaholism, not laziness. We're missing it there, too. Because if we think that work is somehow it, it's going to save us or save the world, that we can be successful enough or productive enough or fruitful enough to, to solve our problems and our world's problems, it's never going to be enough. Even, even God rests on the seventh day. The other, the other tension I often feel when I think about this stuff is the tension between selfishness and generosity. Because I... I like money, I like stuff, I like me a lot, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest, you're your favorite person, and I'm mine, uh, and, and we think that the world revolves around us, and that everything in our lives ought to be, be for us, and for our satisfaction, and, and for our security, and, and all of that, and so we hoard, and we take, and we, we, you know, we buy things we don't need, and we're, you know, we just, frankly, we're just kind of a mess, aren't we? We don't do this well. And the reality is every person in this room is unbelievably wealthy. We not realize that, right? Go back to like the 7.3 billion. We're, we're up there. And there are still a billion people in the world who don't know where their next meal is coming from. 
We need to care about that. We need to contribute to that. I'm haunted by these words in Proverbs. Oh, I love them and I hate them at the same time. The author says, he's praying to God, essentially says, give me neither poverty nor riches. That's an important prayer, people. God, not, don't give me the extremes of poverty. And God, you know what? Don't give me the extremes of wealth either. Instead, he says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me what I need. And here's, here's why. And this is, so, this is so helpful for us. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, right? I'm rich. I can take care of my own problems. I don't need God. Anybody relate to that one? Um, or go the opposite direction, right? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And there's a lot of wisdom here. And the reality is our wealth is not for us. I mean, sure, we can, we can enjoy God's blessings in our lives and, and ought to in certain, certain circumstances, right? In, in ways that are, that are helpful and beneficial. And yet, we're ultimately, we're, we're stewards of what God has given us. And so we can use our wealth to create jobs, to feed the poor, to support your church who's striving to make what's wrong right, right, in our city and in, in our world, to make good ethical choices in the way that you use your money. I mean, the question that I'm wrestling with is, am I using my wealth to love me or to love my neighbor? I don't really like the answer to that one. Well, I'm almost done. All right, I know this is heavy stuff. I want to show us just a quick video to give us kind of a glimpse of, of what, one example of what this, this looks like. Uh, and then I'll just wrap us up really quick. Let's, let's watch. I was just looking for fast life and I got mixed up in drugs. I ended up getting caught and I was sentenced to uh, prison life. But before I went, you know, I had an understanding of the Lord. I just didn't live it. Once I got in prison, it gave me all the time I needed to study. Through my study, I realized that the Lord has blessed me with the talents of uh, being a mechanic. And once upon my release, I continued. I know in the scripture it says to, to, to honor everything that you do as you're doing it for the Lord. So every morning I pray about my customers. I pray about my work. If I come into some kind of a problem that I can't fix, I'll stop and I'll pray about it and I'll just put it in God's hands and it just seems like he's there helping me. I was going through a really bad addiction to heroin. I was going to rehab at the same time and he kind of was my extra support. He really has helped me stay sober and get me through it. And he was interested in knowing how much mechanic knowledge I had and I told him I wanted to learn more. And he said, well, if you want, I'd be more than happy to employ you as well. And you kind of be by my side and hand me tools and just watch. And then once we get to a place where you have enough knowledge, we can start fixing cars together. Uh, one day he handed me two keys and said, these are yours. I'm going to make you manager of the shop. I feel like this business is the Lord's. And I believe he just entrusted me with everything that I have. And he has opened all kinds of opportunity and doors for me. And, and uh, if it consists of working in an automotive field to help people, that's what I'll do. If you want to be faithful, you have to be fruitful. Creative, productive, and redemptive in, in everything that we do. You know, this, this can't just be a lecture on Genesis or a lecture on basic economics, right? 
or even just good advice on loving your neighbor. Um, that's not what we do here because we, we know that we can't just fix it all on our own. We can't just muster up enough strength or, or have enough good morals or, or energy within us to, to just accomplish it. We cannot fix our world. Genesis 3 happened. We rejected God and everything fell apart. And you and I, as a result, we will forever swing between laziness and workaholism. We will, we will gravitate towards self-indulgence rather than generosity. We are broken and every system is broken. But God hasn't left us to ourselves, floundering in our job description. He has come. And not only does he offer us constant forgiveness for our continual failures, we often stop there, right? And we think, well, God has forgiven us. And yes, he has, but he also gives us the motivation and the power at work within us to actually begin to change and to do the things that he's put in place for us to do, that we can fulfill the commands that he, that he has given us. And we can do it with joy, even in the midst of sacrifice, to live a life of fruitfulness. For Jesus died for this, for me and for you and for every complexity. And he rose again to offer us life and hope that it won't always be so hard. I, I love what he said to his disciples. He said to them, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you ab- bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Good works, of course, but also good work. And in him we can bear much fruit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do this work in us. God, I pray that you would, we would see how you have created and called and redeemed us to be creative, productive, redemptive people, your agents in a, in a broken world. God, I pray that we would love others more than we love ourselves. And God, that we would see you and your glory as our chief end, not, not these other things that so often get in the way and cloud our judgment. May we be a people together who walk out of here today and do our work well, not, not simply for a paycheck, but because you are the God whom, whom we serve. And we can do so with delight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.